Agile Rabbit make events for curious minds. In partnership with the University of Exeter, we focus on ideas, global affairs and the natural and scientific world. These events are set in contrasting venues across the southwest to provide quirky experiences which welcome conversation. For more information, visit agilerabbit.com. Here is Professor John Curtis on why Brexit is challenging Britain's party politics. Recorded on the 31st of October, 2019. Uh, There is a bit of a story behind this talk. I think, Kate, you asked me to do this probably in the spring. (laughs) Possibly before March the 29th. By that stage, we discovered that this was going to be Brexit Day. So I said, well, we'll do a talk about how, you know, public attitudes towards Brexit have evolved. But then, of course, it's not Brexit Day, but it is the day upon which the Queen has given the royal assent to the bill that means we're going to have an election on the 12th of December. What I'm going to do is try to explain at the end of the day why it's proven so difficult for the Conservative Party to resolve Brexit and for the Labour Party to come up with a policy on Brexit that anybody understands. You know, why is this an issue that our traditional two parties, at least, have struggled to deal with? And to do that, I'm going to start with three things that political scientists thought they knew about politics which happen no longer necessarily to be true. So the first is that very few voters feel very strongly conservative, Labour or whatever, and that that's been in decline. The second thing that we thought we knew is that politics in the UK is an argument between left and right. And I'll explain what I mean by those terms. But that's also something that I'm going to suggest that Brexit challenges. And the third thing is, of course, as every journalist knows, elections are won by occupying the centre ground. If you go out on the extremes, you will lose. Brexit also challenges that piece of conventional wisdom. So, first of all, political science has long had a concept called party identification. It's the kind of loyalty and the kind of identification that people have with football clubs. And this is part of who they are. And therefore, they still turn up even when their team isn't doing terribly well. I mean, the the point about it, therefore, it's your sense of identity. So you'll go out and you'll vote and it motivates you to vote and it motivates you to vote for a certain party. And back in the 1960s, when we started measuring this in the UK, there were lots of people who felt that way. Around 45% of people would say, I am either very strong conservative or very strong Labour. And yeah, there was the odd Liberal at that time, but there weren't too many of them. But then it falls away. It falls away very sharply in the election of 1974 and kept on falling really until about the the, the mid-1990s when it's flatlined at around the kind of 15% level or so. So we thought partisanship was dead. And then along came Brexit. And this is what you get if you ask more or less exactly the same question about what do you feel you are and how strongly do you feel it, but doing it about Brexit. So you first ask me, are you a Remainer or a Lever? And most people are either a Remainer or a Lever. And then you ask, are you a very strong Remainer or not very strong or whatever? 40% of people, and in some of the surveys, 45% of people say either they're a very strong Remainer or a very strong Lever. Partisanship is back. It's at a level not seen since the 1960s. It's not attached to political parties, but it is attached to the Brexit debate. There are lots of us on both sides of this debate 
who feel very strongly committed to our side of the argument. And indeed, these are the same people from the same survey. The left-hand side is their reported strength of Brexit identity. On the right-hand side, their reported strength of party identity. And as you can see in this survey, only 8% of people said they were very strong Conservative or whatever, compared with the 40% who said they're very strong Remain or Lever. So very, very dramatic. If you get, develop a strong sense of partisan identity, you start to view the world through the lens of that identity. And as new information comes along, you interpret it in such a way that is consistent with that identity. And that's what's been going on in the Brexit process. Something happens and those on the main side go, to, it just goes to show why Brexit is a daft, stupid idea. And those on the leave side will say that just goes to show why we should be leaving. The whole thing gets interpreted through a prior lens. And the result of which is not very many have changed their minds. We are extraordinarily stable in our attitudes towards Brexit. This is the running average of people's views about Brexit all the way through to currently where we are at the moment. And yes, remain or slightly ahead. The blue line is remain, the green line is leave. And the don't knows are taken out. Uh, and at the moment, the, the, it, it was 52.48 when I did this. It's back up to 53.47, but it's, uh, that's because of a poll out this morning. But what you discover when you look underneath the bonnet, so this is now breaking down how people say they would vote according to how they voted in 2016. 86% of Remainers say they do the same thing. 86% of Leavers say they do the same thing. The only reason why Remainer is ahead is those who did not vote three years ago are very consistently at least two to one in favour of Remain. Now, this is partly the people who were too young in 2016, but it's by no means the bulk of them. Basically, we have a strong sense of identity, a strong sense of pride commitment, as a result of which we are deeply reluctant to change our minds. So Brexit, frankly, has undermined about 50 years' worth of political science writing in one <laughs> swift move. OK, secondly, politics is about left versus right. By left, we mean somebody who says, look, society is too unequal and the government should be in getting involved, particularly managing the economy and redistributing to an extent to reduce that level of inequality. And the principal concern of those on the left is to achieve greater equality. In contrast, those on the right would argue, no, the role of the government is to facilitate economic growth, to enable entrepreneurs to be willing to take risks, so that the total size of the economic cake grows more rapidly. Uh, everybody will benefit as the benefits of growth trickle down across the whole population. The Labour Party is essentially in the former group. The Conservative Party is essentially in the latter. What I'm doing here is dividing the electorate according to whether or not they're amongst the one-third most left-wings, the one-third most right-wing, and the one-third in the centre. And I'm showing you how these three groups voted in 2015, okay? And it's not rocket science. As you would expect, you know, you, you know, you got me all the way down here to tell you that people on the right vote for the Conservatives and people on the left vote for the Labour Party. But notice, the idea that UKIP supporters, as they were in 2015, and our Brexit Party supporters now, are on the right is mistaken. Eurosceptics are not particularly right-wing because actually... Amongst the things they rail, apart from the state and apart from the European Union, is big business. They're not divided by left and right. Same is true of the Liberal Democrats. I mean, the Liberal Democrats occasionally, I mean, one year they're in favour of higher taxation uh, in order to spend more public services, and the next year they're in favour of increasing the personal threshold and income tax. They vacillate on the left-right dimension, but their support essentially crosses that divide. 
What our politics is about less, at least for our two larger parties, is about another value division. And this is essentially between social liberals and social conservatives. Social liberals are people who say, look, at the end of the day, what identity you have, what flags you acknowledge, what symbols you acknowledge, what language you speak, what religion, if any, you follow is up to you. Social conservatives say, but hang on, if a society is going to cohere, to some degree at least, we do need, for example, most people speaking English, people being willing to acknowledge the crown, that actually society does to some degree need to impose a moral code on its members, and actually we should be all following relatively similar social mores. So these are saying that you've got to reduce the degree to which you have individualism in order to maintain social cohesion. This is a long, long stand running debate in our society, and sure, the Conservative Party somewhat more likely to pick up social conservatives. The Labour Party somewhat more likely to pick up social liberals. But the division here is much smaller for those two parties than it was on the left-right dimension. But look at UKIP and the Liberal Democrats. Liberals are social liberals. And that's what defines them and always has done. And UKIP, meanwhile, they're not right-wing. They are social conservatives. Now look at the EU referendum. Actually, whether you were left-wing or right-wing made no difference at all to your probability of voting for or against Brexit. In this survey, actually, those on the left were slightly more in favour. Well, I've already told you, Eurosceptics tend to be on the left. Many of them rail against big business. So Brexit is not a left-right issue. What it is, is a division between social liberals and social conservatives. Social liberals voted to remain, social conservatives voted for Brexit. And so therefore, this is an issue which cuts across the traditional value divide between left and right. And this helps to explain why, A, we've got this thing that people feel really committed to, and B, it's something that does not match our traditional party politics. You begin to understand why this is so difficult for Conservative and Labour. And indeed, when it comes to how uh, each party's supporters vote in the Brexit referendum, neither the Conservatives nor the Labour Party were very successful in taking people with them. Actually, a majority of Conservatives voted to leave, despite David Cameron's position, and Jeremy Corbyn got uh, two-thirds of Labour voters in his direction, but that's all. The only party that was able to bring their supporters with them was UKIP. <laughs> now, you may laugh, but this is the first time in 40 years as a social scientist that I've had a data set in which everybody does what you think they would do. Usually it's about 97. We then go, but hang on, what happened in 2017? Didn't 2017 see the restoration of our traditional two-party system? This is the share of the vote won by Conservative and Labour combined all the way back to 1922. And you get the rise during the interwar period, the height in the 1950s, but then this erosion. I mean, the other thing we thought we knew as political scientists that, you know, gradually the Conservative and Labour hegemony was being eroded. You know, we were down to a little more than two-thirds of the electorate voting for those parties at the beginning of the 21st century. And then it went right back up to over 80%. So you're going to say, well, how, therefore, does this fit your thesis? Well, this is the explanation. Despite the fact that neither the Conservative nor Labour Party had a very clear position on Brexit in 2017, neither of them were very keen on talking about it, even though this was the pretext for calling the election, in practice, voters used those parties to express their views about Brexit, at least so far as the dynamics were concerned. So, even in 2015, 
those who voted Remain were more likely to vote Labour than they were to vote Conservative, so that imbalance already there. But notice that amongst Remain voters, the Conservative vote fell between 2015 and 2017, whereas it increased remarkably amongst Leave voters. The character of the Conservative vote is fundamentally changed from being one that's clearly defined by left-right to one that's now also being defined by the Brexit divide. And although it's not as dramatic in the case of the Labour Party, the Labour Party gained more ground amongst uh, Remain voters than it did amongst Leave voters. And one of the paradoxes of the 2017 election is that actually what Jeremy Corbyn largely achieved was to acquire the kind of electorate that Tony Blair would have died for. Both sides of the Labour Party hate you for when you say that, but the truth is that the Labour Party essentially did extremely well amongst metropolitan, social liberals, university... I mean, nearly... uh, The Labour Party uh, got almost a half of all university graduates to vote for them, and they were almost as successful amongst university graduates as they were amongst those in traditional working-class occupations. They weren't particularly successful amongst those on the left. And you can see the consequence. So going back and doing that analysis, whether you're a social liberal or social conservative, but now just simplifying it. So above the line means a party is doing better amongst social liberals than social conservatives. Below the line means they're worse. The red line, yes, it's Labour. And the blue line is conservative. And as you can see, there, you know, there were differences, but it wasn't dramatic, as I showed you earlier. But then... The Labour Party becomes so much more clearly defined by doing well amongst social liberals and the Conservatives much more clearly defined amongst social conservatives. It's not that the left-right divide disappears. This is the equivalent analysis by left-right, but it doesn't strengthen. And what this does mean is that the parties are now having to articulate not one division, but two. If you're a social liberal, you might be on the left or you might be on the right. There is basically no correlation between these two sets of values. So it becomes very difficult for two parties to encompass what ends up being a rather heterogeneous group of people. And this creates inevitable tensions. For example, you'll be aware, I think it's the current prime minister who used an expletive that I dare not repeat in polite company, followed by the word business. That, of course, is not a traditional conservative view, but it does reflect the view of many of those who voted leave who are not economic liberals but are actually people looking for protection from the winds of international capitalism. Okay, we thought that politics was about the centre ground. Well, and this is looking at people's attitudes to what should happen next in the Brexit process. Four polls done during the spring and the summer. The two most popular options are revoke Article 50 and leaving without a deal. When we think about having to chase the centre ground... We think of it in that way because we presume that the distribution of public opinion is basically an inverted U. This is an issue on which we are at the extremes. 50% of Leave voters during the summer are saying, oh, let's just leave. Don't bother about negotiating. And meanwhile, two-thirds of Remain voters go, oh, could please somebody cancel Brexit, please, please, and put us out of our misery, right? But again, there is very little support in the middle. So that Remain, Leave divide which is now so firmly embedded on both sides of the argument also has views about how you resolve brexit which are very very much at odds with each other the same question but with johnson's deal inserted for may's deal much less of a compromise than may's deal was and certainly johnson has had some success 
in taking people away, seemingly, at least on this question, from leaving without a deal towards his proposed deal. So there's a bit of a compromise there. But, you know, the Remainers still just go, you know, please could we revoke Article 50. The evidence isn't entirely consistent. This is uh, from the penultimate YouGov poll very recently. They've got a different question. This is the first time they've asked it in this way. Notice soft Brexit, which is meant to be Labour's position. Nobody's interested. But still quite substantial support for no deal in this version, um, as opposed to Johnson's deal. And one of the things we're waiting to see is, A, whether the Brexit Party are actually going to fight the election, and B, if they do, you know, they will be promoting no deal, and to what extent can they bring Leave voters back? So uh, some of the polarisation, to an extent, has been limited, but that's about it. Mr Johnson's deal, more popular than Mrs May's deal, but frankly, that wasn't difficult. Even Leave voters disliked her deal. But actually, the data on whether or not people support or oppose the deal, we've got slightly more people in favour than against, but it's not dramatic in most of the polls. It's essentially a remain-leave divide. Leave voters like Boris's deal. They didn't like Mrs May's deal. They like Boris's deal. Remain voters, frankly, are about as unhappy with Boris's deal as they were with Mrs May's deal. But the point is, this is still a deal... <laughs> that it's not obvious how it's going to bring the country, it still leaves us polarised. Meanwhile, of course, the Liberal Democrats, who are quite happy talking about Brexit, have uh, also expanded the range of options by saying, let's just crash out, let's not even bother with a referendum. BMG have been tracking this for quite a while, and as you can see, I mean, yeah, quite a lot of Remain voters will say, well, let's just have another referendum. But actually, slightly more people go, let's just cancel Brexit. Meanwhile, faced with this set of options, again, you can see the very high level support for leaving without a deal amongst Leave voters. How any of this gets plays out in our politics, of course, doesn't just depend on the views of the electorate, but also how the parties decide to comport themselves. And one of the things that Opinion have done recently is to ask people where they stand and their preference as compared with the three positions that the parties held immediately prior to Boris negotiating his deal. So the left-hand side was the Conservative position of we leave on the 31st of October even if it means leaving without a deal. On the right-hand side it's uh, we should remain without a referendum, that's the Liberal Democrat position. And in the middle is my best shorthand at Labour's policy, <laughs> i.e. we delay we negotiate yet another deal and then we have a referendum and of course we're not going to tell you which side we're going to be in that referendum. It's one of the great ironies of our time. Jeremy Corbyn is meant to be this great radical extremist politician but he's actually the last compromiser standing in our political system. And this is the compromise position. It's a deliberately compromised position but you can see how it can potentially struggle against parties that are more willing to go out towards the extreme. Fighting on the centre ground is not obviously necessarily advantageous indeed if you actually ask people whether or not the party's policies are clear or not they go yep i know where the brexit party are i think i know where the tories are and quite remarkably they even know where the liberal democrats are and they do not know where the labor party stands so therefore you can see how brexit 
has changed our politics because the, at the end of the day, our parties have had strong incentives to polarise. And even in the last six months, they have polarised more. Swinson moving from second referendum to reversing Brexit. And the Conservatives are now proposing a much harder Brexit than I'm, and are still willing to contemplate leaving without a deal, either at the end of phase one or at the end of phase two. Only Labour are left, although, of course, they have also moved because we are basically looking at a polarised position. Finally, what I'm showing you here is a kind of potted history of support for the parties since 15th of November last year when Mrs May unveiled her draft withdrawal treaty. At that point, the two-party hegemony that had been recreated in 2017 was still largely in place. Conservative 39, Labour 39. Even by uh, the time we were getting to just before the 29th of March, the, the continuing Brexit impasse was associated with something of a decline in party support. Tories down three, Labour down five. The moment we failed to deliver on March the 29th, the support for the Conservative Party falls away. And then, of course, in the wake of that, we get into a European Parliament election, and that European Parliament election just see Conservative support decimated, Labour support decimated, the Brexit Party even in support for uh, an election up to 20%, and the sudden and long-awaited revival of the Liberal Democrats. Whereas on the Eurosceptic side, there were already signs of the Eurosceptic vote going up as the Brexit impasse towards March the 29th um, uh, increased. So we've seen against this backdrop of a very stable electorate so far as its Brexit views is concerned, very considerable volatility. Basically the consequence of the European referendum is Labour lose ground, the Liberal Democrats gain and that has stuck. That's not shifted. Two parties support, very stable. But on the other side of the fence the Brexit party vote's gradually gone down and the Tory vote's gone up. That's the foundation of Boris Johnson's lead in the polls. It's actually now gone up to 37 today, this figure. What does this mean? Well, making some very, very simple assumptions, it basically suggests a Tory majority of about 40, which would be sufficient for him to be able to deliver the Brexit he wants. That said, if the Tory league falls back down to about seven points, we are potentially in hung parliament territory. This is how the party's support now pans out as compared with the 2017 election. You can see how the Conservatives are almost back up to where they were amongst Leave voters, but not quite. There's still a substantial minority of Brexit party support. The Labour Party has tried to hang on to both its Remainers and its Leavers, and it's ended up losing both of them. 17-point drop amongst Remainers, 14-point drop amongst Leavers. But of course, proportionately, this is the bigger drop. So they've really lost on their Leave vote. And here's perhaps the most remarkable thing at all. The Liberal Democrats in 2017 are better amongst Remainers than amongst Leavers. But literally all of the increase in the Liberal Democrat vote since 2017 has occurred amongst Remain voters. And they are basically now the antithesis of the Brexit Party. This is all virtually um, uh, Leave voters. This is basically all Remain voters. So the resurrection of the Liberal Democrats and the replacement of UKIP with the Brexit Party, and both of them doing well at the same time, is founded on the Brexit division for a significant section of the electorate being all what it's about. They are now voting for parties on the extreme of the, of the Brexit divide, and those parties are now much stronger. These parties are still trying to maintain a coalition, but in all practical purposes, Labour is finding its support becoming gradually more pro-Remain, and the Conservatives are tending to find their support rather more pro-Leave. The Remain vote 
is now split between Labour and the Liberal Democrats. And that's the other foundation of Boris's lead. So foundation number one is this squeeze on the Brexit party vote. Tories regaining uh, support amongst leavers. The second foundation is that the Liberal Democrats took an awful lot of votes off the Labour Party uh, last spring and they've kept them and the Remain voters divided. So although maybe slightly more of us are in favour of remaining inside the EU than, than not, at the moment the election is skewed in the Leave direction because the Leave vote is much more concentrated behind the Conservative Party than the Remain vote is behind Labour and the Democrats, which is why there's all this scrabbling now going on about, about tactical voting. You know, here's Labour's biggest problem. 18% of its votes gone to the Liberal Democrats. This is the Tories' principal problem. There's still about 14% of the Conservative vote going to the Brexit party. But again, notice people are saying, well, is it possible for people to go from Labour to Conservative? Yes, it is. And actually, the Labour party is losing as much to the Tories these days as amongst the Brexit party. Leave, leave voters on the Labour side are going as much in that direction as that direction, which obviously is bad news for Labour. So, Brexit has challenged our conventional understanding of British politics. We have a sense of identity and commitment that few have to a party. This issue cuts across the left-right divide and thus disrupts the existing electoral coalitions. It even disrupts parties' understandings of who they are. I've already referred to the fact that the Conservative Party, the traditional party of business, I mean, big business doesn't want to leave the European Union. The traditional party of big business is pursuing a policy that big business is not happy with. Conversely, the party of the radical party of the centre-left is rather more sympathetic to the views of big business. But it cuts across the left-right divide, and the problem for the Labour Party is it still thinks of itself as a party of the working class. We are here to represent our people. The trouble is, our people is no longer what they think it is. It's a bunch of university graduates in many cases, rather than people in working class occupations. But the point is, the Labour Party has an emotional commitment to its working class and therefore more pro-Leave vote, which is why it struggles. Why have we got this polarised election, uh, at least on Brexit? Because that's where we are at. We are deeply polarised as a society. We are strongly committed and we want very, very different answers. And of course, the interesting thing is that probably the election will indeed provide one answer or the other. Whether it will resolve the impasse in the direction you like, well, that's in the eye of the beholder, but, you know, that's for another day. Okay. <laughs> One question about regional variations. To what extent these opinion polls and your analysis of them take yeah. that into account? Because, obviously, in the southwest here, the answer to you is we just simply scratch our heads. I mean, one of the $64,000 questions is what is going to be the electoral geography of the Liberal Democrat vote? Whether or not Liberal Democrats will do well in somewhere like North Cornwall and North Devon. Now, you take the arguments both ways. One is that, you know, they're very strongly leave voting areas. Therefore, the, the Liberal Democrats will struggle to get their electorate back in this part of the world. On the other hand, of course, two things. One is that Part of the foundation of the, the Liberal Democrat strength in the South West is squeezing the Labour vote. And, and a lot of that unravelled in 2015 and 2017. And they might be able to squeeze it back down again. And the second thing, of course, is that what the Liberal Democrats have done historically down here is to say, you know, we are the party that stands up for the South West against London, which doesn't understand us and out of the way, etc., etc. So whether or not that appeal, which in some senses 
is again the same, a, a similar sentiment to those people who in, in Cornwall and, in, and Devon go, you know, hate Brussels, you know, et cetera, et cetera, is all far too far away. I mean, it's a fascinating question. And so the answer to it is we don't know. We're intrigued and we're interested. And it'll be one of the things we'll be looking for on election night if we haven't worked it out beforehand. As you know, the Labour Party's strategy is the social policy thing and just ignore the uh, Brexit yeah, trade. Sure. How do you think that will work? The difficulty they will face, I think, is that, I mean, it, it, you know, it's not impossible. And I mean, I, I, I don't think domestic policy is going to get crowded out entirely. And, you know, as my figures show, there is still a minority of Leave voters going to vote Labour and a minority of Remain voters are going to vote for Conservative. And they will be attracted by the left-right divide. But the difficulty I think the Labour Party will, may find is that, I mean, A, it's a more crowded field. Last time, basically, it was a Tory versus Labour fight. The Liberal Democrats were still being murdered for their sins of the coalition. And the, the UKIP were being led by Paul Nuttall. And neither was able to propose an effective challenge. But now the Liberal Democrats are in business and they want to talk about Brexit. If Nigel Farage fights, he'll want to talk about Brexit. Boris wants to talk about Brexit. So against that backdrop, your ability to move the agenda does become more difficult. Some of the things that people are going, you know, because, you know, with Corbyn uh, emphasising the NHS, is, it's an open secret that the NHS is operating during the summer at levels of strain that it normally uh, has during the winter. And if we do get a winter flu crisis and the NHS is under great pressure, then maybe that will make, that will push the domestic agenda to Labour's advantage. So, uh, you know, but again, the other thing on that to bear in mind is, you know, one of the problems the Tories faced in 2017 is that Theresa May didn't even tell their own her own party she was going to hold an election. So that that's why they make the mistake over social care because they write a manifesto too quickly. The Tories know there's election coming, so I think it's going to be you know, might be impossible. And I you know, give him his due. Corbyn is good at campaigning, but the other difficulty they face is look, you know, Theresa May was hopeless at campaigning. Whatever his faults, Boris is actually rather good at it. So I think it's going to be more difficult this time. With Northern Ireland, right. Oh, you mean? Oh, you mean in the next election? Yeah. Um, well, uh, the first thing, of course, to, to point to make is that the Northern Ireland backstop is extremely popular in Northern Ireland, and, and of course, the, the fact that DUP have been advocating for is completely unrepresentative of public opinion in Northern Ireland, uh, which has, you know, voted to remain. But the, that remain vote was the product of a, a nationalist voting in favour of remain and a minority of unionists doing so. One thing we know, of course, is the Alliance Party is now much stronger in the North than it was. It did well in the last set of um, local elections, and there are a couple of other seats which previous has suggested the DUP could be vulnerable in. So one suspects that probably the DUP are not going to have 10 seats, question mark. So we might get a slightly more diverse representation, but it's only 18 seats and it's relatively small in the big game of things, unless you get the kind of result that happened in 2017, which gave the DUP their wedge position. But I mean, the DUP didn't want an election. It's probably going to take away their bargaining power. Okay, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. So um, thanks so much for coming